We are, no, that's not how I do it. Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. <laughs> Wait, that's not how I do this. <laughs> and we are Always Listening. That's close enough. That's close enough. We'll amble along. Um, Jay, uh, thankfully we're, we're live and uh, together once again. I think there's a Muppet song about this, but I'm not going to go into it. How about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kermit and Fozzie. Kermit and Fozzie. The whole exactly. gang. Yeah, the whole gang together again. Um, uh, right. So. And we're we've moving a, right along. We, we've got a lot to get to, so we will be moving right along. Uh, no follow-up other than to say, I enjoyed putting that episode together last week. We did that kind of on the fly. You were on vacation. The kids were all home and stuff, so you wanted to do some family time. Uh, and then I missed our window to record. You were like, I got stuff to say. We can't miss the episode. Here's these things. Do something with that. And I was like, oh, excellent. That'll be fun. Well, and not to get too far off track, because we do have a lot to get into. So, And I'm going to get kind of technical here. So if you don't like the technical mumbo jumbo, yeah. fast forward like three minutes or so. I'm sure we'll get into the other good stuff. But my, my processes uh, of recording audio, uh, I use Audition. Uh, because that's sort of what I learned and grew on. Specifically, I started on Cool Edit Pro, which later evolved into Edition. And I'm actually using an old version of Cool Edit Pro still because you end up loving what you learn in audio production. And I've used it for, I don't know how many years now. I've been podcasting for 14 and I've been in radio for 25. So I don't think I've been using Cool Edit Pro for, for 25 years, but it's pretty darn close. Uh, all of this is to say, I apologize that my audio sounded like lousy <laughs> digital doo-doo because here, here's what ends up happening. I use uberconference.com to record my other podcast, Next Fan Up, which I use to connect with my 32 other co-hosts. They provide me an MP3 that is of a higher level than what is standard. They give me a 48K, whatever it is, uh, instead of 44.1. And when you're in audition, you have to convert files that aren't of the same level. And when I did, I must have done that somewhere down the line. And then when I saved, it changed the bit rate on my MP3s to something that's super lousy, not even standard. And that's ultimately what has been happening. And quite honestly, it's not just this show. It's been on the Next Fan Up show. And I was blaming my host. I was like, there must be something going on when I upload it to the host that's changing everything. And then I heard it on this show and I went, oh no. And I looked in and anyway, just to show you that even the pros uh, can get screwed up from time to time. The one reason why I tell new people that are getting into audio editing to use Hindenburg, and this is not a commercial, they're not paying us, is because Hindenburg will automatically convert everything for you. And you can put in an MP3, you can put a wave, you can put an M4A. It will make all of those files talk to each other without converting, which saves you a ton of time. Uh, they'll also auto level and all that good stuff. So, uh, the problem for me, like I said, I've got like over 25 years of radio experience. I've been using that one program for most of those years. For me to sort of the old dog learning new tricks on Hindenburg is going to take me a little while. You'd think the unemployed guy would have time to do that, but no. <laughs> well, it's it's it, in particular moving over digital audio workstations. And anybody that's listening to this um podcast probably is familiar with that idea even if you don't do all the editing for your own show uh you at least know that somebody is is using a piece of software to get that done it is very difficult to switch gears in the middle and i will say jay that anybody is capable of mistakes i literally do this all day long every single day of the week basically i'm editing something for someone either myself or one of my clients and every week there's at least one or two little minor you know mishaps most of the time i have systems in place that catch them before they're public right so like i might post something to the wrong date or start it in the wrong account or grab it from the wrong place or grab the wrong version of the file or whatever but i've got a system in place to notice those things or as you said i've got software that points it out or something and so because of those checks you know, the only public uh, mishaps are maybe once or twice a month. You get something and you send a file to a client and they say, hey, mate, uh, that one's not the right. 
this one doesn't sound right. Or you put the ad in the wrong place or something, you know, something simple like that. Anyway, it's possible for everybody. What you need to have is redundancy. You need to have a checklist before you begin your recordings. You need to have a checklist for after you finish. Uh, I was listening to a podcaster the other day. One of the cool things about, you know, the Mac that you can't really do on iOS yet, uh, even though I'm an iOS person, uh, there are Apple scripts and things that uh, I, I've heard podcasters use on the Mac side so that as soon as they finish recording, they hit like one little button and that loads an automator action that turns back on four or five different things. And then the same thing when they start the recording, they hit that one button and it turns off five or six different things. So for instance, if you've got Google Drive and Dropbox running as applications in the background, before you start your recordings, you should turn those off. You should disconnect those services so that they're not syncing and using your bandwidth. If you've got a web browser that's open, you should shut that down before you start your recording so that it's not using resources in the background, if at all possible. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you have your show notes on the web, maybe you have to have a second screen or something. But anything that is not actively being used for the podcast should be disabled on your computer. And on the Mac, and I'm sure on the PC side, for people who are very adept, there are lots of ways to sort of automate those things if you think about that ahead of time. So turn those automations on if you have access to them. If you don't have actual automations, make a notepad, make a little checklist for yourself, you know, laminate it and say, these are the things I do before I record. These are the things I do after I record. And that way you will minimize your opportunities for failure like that. Yeah. Nothing, nothing says great audio. Like when the kids are home on vacation and one's playing Fortnite and the other one's playing Roblox and you're trying to record a, a podcast with a person in a different area code. So yeah, it's a, uh, the bandwidth gets sucked up pretty quickly here in the uh, Vader household. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's a, it's a mess. We do the same thing. I I tell everybody they got to get on the DVR, right? Like we've got a TiVo downstairs that doesn't take any bandwidth. Watch something that's recorded for the hour that Dad's making a phone call upstairs. Um, so let's get to the news, Jay. We got a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, where do you want to start? Uh, let's see. I, I'm, I'm wondering if we should save our best for last or if we should kick it off. Well, I always tell, I always tell other people when I'm consulting them, you start with your best content first. And I have a feeling, Joel, that this particular conversation is going to be a goodie. Okay. So, so when I was in, uh, radio, one of the things that we had in our local market was this, uh, syndicated show called Earl Pitts. Have you ever heard of this, Jay? I have not. It's like a very southern sounding guy. It's it's a character from a DJ. I can't remember the actual man's name, but it's a an ongoing thing. I think he's been running 20 or 30 years now. And uh, effectively, it's one of these like, you know, what grinds my gears kind of thing. And he does like a two minute, three minute rant. And he always starts it with, you know, what makes me so sick. You know, it makes me so angry. I just want to. And then some country hyperbole for how angry he is, right? I want to chew up some tin roof and spit out nails, you know, or whatever. Okay. <laughs> so this is, that's what I put in our show notes. You know, what makes me so angry. You know, it makes me sick. Uh, what makes me sick this week was uh, an article in the uh, podcast business journal. Now we quote these, uh, this publication a lot. I did not know who they were other than a bunch of people that I respect highly, like Elsie uh, Escobar and Dave Jackson and um, uh, Dan Franks with uh, Podcast Movement. I knew the three of them in particular were on the board or, or the, the, editorial, the, the board. editorial board. And I was like, okay, well, if they've signed on to it, I am down for it, right? Those are people that I respect and like in the industry. And there were several other names. Those are the three that I can remember off the top of my head. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm down for this. So I started reading it. Uh, we both subscribed to it. We've used them several times in the show. This week, honestly, is the first time that I'd ever seen content from them that I was rabidly opposed to. I'd seen articles that I disagreed with, their take on something a little bit, but nothing that I was like, well, for instance, I'd never replied to anything. <laughs> I, had never, I had never posted angrily about any of their articles online. I have this week, though. So the article is, Could Podcasters Deal with the Pressure of Being a Radio Host? And it was an editorial from Ed Ryan, who I find out after the fact is actually like the chief. He's, he's the guy at Podcast Business Journal. Uh, it's his publication. And uh, Ed comes from the radio world. Radio Inc. is his other publication. I think that's where... 
people would know about him generally, uh, you know, in the industry. If you say the name Ed Ryan, I think that's what they would um, associate people with. I know my former boss is a big reader of his and has been for years and years, uh, Gary McKinney and the the radio world. We we would often pass around his articles. So I didn't recognize the name at the time, and maybe I didn't take what he said with any, uh, you know, I was like, who is this guy uh, as I went into it? But his basic take was, and we've heard this a lot, this is not a new article, but his particular angle was on the recent round of, of things that we've heard about burnout, different people talking about managing burnout and, and being aware that burnout is coming for you as a creative and in particular as a podcaster, ways to avoid it. Uh, what to do when it's upon you, you know, how to use the I saw an article recently about, you know, like using seasons to avoid and manage burnout and things like that. Um, and his basic point was actually sort of something similar to you said. He, he said it in a different way. I thought you came off as jovial and he comes off as sort of chiding. But, but the other day, Jay, we had an episode and you were talking about the BBC discovering radio. You were like, oh, is it hard to do something every single day? Hmm. <laughs> Oh, my, you have to research and then talk over and over and over again, do you? Uh, and that's sort of how this article comes off, too, a little bit. He's like, well, well, let me tell you, sister, us radio folks have been doing this for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, you have. It's a vastly different world, right? And he comes off in this article uh, more than anything as someone who is completely disconnected from the average podcaster. We talk a lot about the NPRs of the world and the Gimlets basically being like a separate industry from Joe and Jane Q Public running their little podcast about Once Upon a Time or, you know, Westworld or whatever. And it is. It's two, it's two totally different universes. Ed knows the radio universe, and he may know it very, very well, and he is applying uh, an idea of and a uh, a work ethic, quote-unquote, from the radio world that just isn't applicable. The vast majority of podcasters will never make a dime on their podcast. The vast majority of podcasters will spend their entire podcasting career, whether that be two episodes or 200 or 2,000 or 2 million, making zero dollars, but instead putting money into their show and their community and their fans and their hobby. The idea that you would condescendingly talk down to those folks and tell them how it is um, it shows that you don't understand what this industry is about. Now, all of that is one thing. The thing that really made me mad and the thing that, that made me put this in the, the show in the end was his reaction to the comments. Lots of people gave him pushback, said this is sort of talking down, explained the ways that they're their situations are different. And I felt like his replies were not hearing that. Here's something that I wanted to make a video about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I didn't for whatever reason I got busy. But this situation applies, and I think it's a lesson as much for you and me as it is for Ed or any other industry expert. <laughs> when we do podcasts, what ends up happening is we are making public proclamations of a great length over a great length of time, right? If you end up making very many shows, you are your voice is on record saying a lot of things. <laughs> Just like a radio host, right? Like a lot of times we, we try to give a benefit of a doubt to a radio host as they stumble over a statistic or a phrase or a wording or a pronunciation or whatever because they're like, man, they're on air for six hours today. Like, what, what do you want them to do? Like, they're trying the best they can. It's amazing that they're as clear and coherent as they are as long as they are. Same thing with podcasters. Here's what I'll say. We, as the podcaster, Ed, as the, you know, uh, publisher of this uh news journal and, and email list and, and uh, online publication. We need to be continually cognizant of what we don't know, right? I listen mm. to a bunch of tech shows, Jay, and those tech people are brilliant about coding and computer hardware 
and the rhythms of hardware companies. And they're generally pretty good at prognosticating what's coming in the next version of the MacBook or the iPad, etc. I'll bet a majority of them aren't very good storytellers. They're not very good storytellers. <laughs> you know what else they're bad at, Jay? They're bad at talking about the TV industry, for instance. Mm. Many of those Apple podcasters and Apple bloggers were recently confronted with discussing the TV industry and the streaming industry because of Apple's move into original television content and original movies and, and, and shows. And so now they're talking about this industry that's adjacent to theirs that, like you and me, they play in, right? Like they watch a bunch of TV shows. They subscribe to Netflix. They've got Amazon Prime. Surely uh, they could be armchair quarterbacks too. <laughs> and guess what? All they do as a rule is show their ignorance of the industry that's outside their own. They are experts in their field. And what it does is undercut the expertise that they have because you begin thinking, wow, if I am clearly so much more well-informed on this area than they are, maybe, maybe I've just been taking what they say about Apple for granted when that's not, when that's all bogus too. You know what I mean? It, it undercut their expertise in other areas. So what I would say is this in general in my life, like this is a philosophical thing that I hold. I don't know it all. And I am very tragically aware of that. I research a lot of things. I put a lot of thought into the decisions and the beliefs that I hold, but I also know that I'm not a genius and I don't have all the information on any topic, let alone every topic. So when someone that is intelligent and, and, uh, well-spoken and kind about their approach brings me new information. Even if I don't agree with it, when we walk away, I try not to dismiss it rudely because I might find I might find after I sit with it for a while that that it is closer to the truth than what I had before and I don't want to undercut the areas where I do have expertise by showing myself a fool in others. And I say that as a guy who has done that and continues to do that. I got a religious show, Jay. Like I have plenty of people think I'm a fool on lots of things. So <laughs> but that so I guess that's my final message to Ed is like Instead of just replying back to every comment with, well, let me tell you how, let me tell you why you got that wrong and how I really meant it, maybe just listen. Maybe just thanks for your reply. Let me consider that. Also, I will give him this benefit. There is another article linked in the show notes here from my friend, Carrie Caulfield from Yaya Podcasting. She's a, a fellow podcast editor and consultant. And she was also up in arms about Ed's article she wrote him directly a response and he said can i print it she said sure so he did he did print that uh, that response in his publication and good on him for doing that uh and you know several people have uh, replied to that as well so again at least he showed the other side i think there was a better way that he could have framed it in posting it he made a comment about uh, some of the responses were just plain angry he didn't own any of that anger perhaps is like maybe I caused some of the anger or something I felt like there was a softer way he could have come in there but the point is he did post the other side of it at least so read both of those articles and when you get mad about uh, Ed's get happy about Carrie's and then get back <laughs> to your show um, but also think about that think about the area of expertise that you have, the, the the content focus that you have in your show, and I'm sure you bring a tremendous amount of research and expertise and experience to it. Be careful when you stray outside of that, talking in, you know, definitive statements and declarative <laughs> statements. That's all I'm saying. Joel, that was very well said. I definitely wanted to give you your time to to get that off your chest. And I do want to respond to a couple of things that you brought up. Uh, because many many of those things are definitely things that that I have presented here on this on this particular podcast. First, wasn't the BBC? They've been broadcasting for a number of years now. It was the New York Times, yeah, uh, who is a who is a print publisher who has just recently discovered the art of a daily podcast. And when doing so, they were talking about how hard it was. Uh, there was a, one of the uh, business conferences um, that was put on by. Uh, Oh, the good folks. I don't, I don't believe it was the NAB, but, um, 
in any case, it was a it was a smaller business conference. They were talking about the difficulties that they ran into with their editors and how many editors they had to hire to make the audio program and how difficult it was to produce 30 minutes of audio on a daily basis. And I was like, oh, congratulations. You've discovered radio uh, because radio has been around not as long as print, obviously, uh, but uh, they've obviously perfected a system and that's how they put together daily radio pod uh, programming uh, in a very similar sense to what the New York Times is now just discovering and now trying to reinvent the wheel. That's sort of that was the sort of way that I was chiding the New York Times. And it, it seemed like they were coming off as they were trying to reinvent the wheel. If you understand the the analogy there, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. The wheel is there. It's it's invented. You can't improve upon it. Um, <laughs> so, so so that goes to that. The other thing you're talking about when you're talking outside of your room of experience, not only is there a difference between radio and podcasting, there are differences in podcasting, right? We did an article on Lauren Shippen not too long ago from the Bright Sessions who discussed her struggle with a successful podcast to make money for four years. Many people would definitely call it quits, hang it up, you know, way earlier than what she and she obviously hasn't hung it up, but they would have they would have definitely been like, no, this is way too much of my time. I'm I'm not making any money out of this. Like this is clearly not worth my time. And that's one person. And that's something that's not brought up, I don't believe, in the uh in the retort to the uh to the podcasting burnout is some podcasts like the New York Times have a team of people that are putting together this podcast. There's a marketing person, there's an editor, there's multiple editors, there's a host, there's um, all sorts of uh, technical people, audio engineers, a whole team of people working on that one podcast. Many of these other podcasts are one person doing all of that work. And then as mentioned in Carrie's uh, response, they also have a life, they also have a full-time job, they may have kids, all of these other things that get factored in and it just becomes too much to do on your own when you're not being paid for it. And I've mentioned previously on this podcast, the people that are doing that, that are, that are putting forth content that aren't looking to get paid for it, that are taking money out of their own pockets to do it. God bless you. I certainly couldn't do that. I've, you know, I recently had a scare not too long ago that I thought I was going to have to hang up my podcast, uh, because of that. And, uh, I will tell you, uh, it, it was very real. It was one of those things where I went to my 32 other co-hosts and said, listen, guys, if this happens, this show is done. Like I don't have the time to invest in the show as much as I love it, as much as I love talking about NFL and everything involved in the NFL, and as much as I love putting that together for an audience, I can't do it without the possibility of making real money from it. Like, I just can't invest that amount of time. I can't go to my wife and my two teenage children and be like, you know what? Uh, I got to take a break here, um, you know, for a few hours to put together this show. Um, you guys go play outside, do whatever without me, you know, go get some ice cream, go, you know, live your lives, get older, cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's that. I mean, all of this comes down to, like you said, it's just one of those things where you have to be cognizant of who you're talking to. And I, even last week, when I gave my recommendation about pop culture podcasts and how I, as a sports podcaster, understand the need of immediacy in the content that I'm producing. And there's a lot of pop culture podcasts that don't seem to understand that, that need for immediacy to get that content out as quickly as possible. And it's something that I think that many of them should consider employing in their production process. Now they obviously have built an audience that is prepared to wait for their content. But I, as a person searching out new content to listen to, I'm going to lean towards the ones that are more immediate to my needs. And that's just, um, again, all different styles of podcasts, all different types of ways to produce a podcast and certainly different than radio. And he brought up Rush Limbaugh. That's ridiculous. He's like the, 
isn't he the most lucrative radio host on the face of the planet? Maybe second to Howard Stern. I mean, that's uh, I can I can tell you right now without a doubt that I could sit down for four hours if you're going to give me four million dollars a show to to do that. I, I will find something to talk about for four hours a day. I'll do it seven days a week. Well, and, a, and a team and a team, too. Right. Like a team right. around him. It's not he doesn't run the board. He doesn't print out the stories. He doesn't uh, hook up the guests. He doesn't schedule the guests. He doesn't even think about which guests he wants. He just says yes or no well, to what the team brings him, you know? And so anyway, yes, I listen, I respect Ed for everything he's done for the business. I particularly appreciate the podcast business journal as a publication. I'm glad that it exists. However, if it wants to exist about all of the podcast business, right? Not just if he doesn't want to be hot pod for former radio guys, we talk about Hot Pod. Hot Pod's a good a, a good newsletter for what it is, but Nick Qua makes it very clear the only people he cares about are the public radio people, effectively. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. If Podcast Business Journal wants to be only for the podcast industry that comes from radio, cool. There is probably a, an audience for that. But we should say that, and then there needs to be an opening. There is an opening, clearly, for someone to come in and talk about the indie side of things. That that would be my my thing there. Either open up to that aspect of things, or or make it clear what your angle is. You know, Nick well, does give Nick the give Nick the credit <laughs> right. there. Nick Nick says exactly what he's talking about, and that's the only thing he's talking about. Which leads us to this next article that also came out uh, in the same time frame by Chris Richards at the Washington Post. He is a pop music critic. First of all, can you be a critic of pop music? I feel like that's <laughs> so that that should not be allowed. Uh, so I think, first of all, I am so sick and tired. And Elsie LC Escobar made the same point, I think, on Twitter, too. I am so sick and tired of people being given large sums of money to write about podcasts when they have made it clear that they hate podcasts. I love podcasts. I would take very little money from almost anyone to write about them at length in whatever flavor and form you want to ask me to write about them. Okay. Washington post. Here I am. Ain't hard to find pro podcasting services.com. All right. Uh, what Chris, did this guy have Chris, to say? Yeah. Chris asks our podcast killing music are just wasting our time. He hates podcasts. Ugh. Now he cites, I want you to note the podcast that he cites pod save America the Joe Budden podcast, terrible thanks for asking. These are some of the podcasts that he feels are a waste of his time. Remember, this is a pop music critic, okay? He goes through quite a number of words, by the way. It's a long read about how much he hates it. Uh, he also brings up S-Town and Serial. Now, these are marquee names definitely in the world of podcasting about things that aren't related to anything that he cares about. And it goes back to that the tech survey that I brought up last week about how people feel like there aren't a podcast for them. I can tell you with about 99% certainty that there probably isn't a podcast here for Chris because there are no pop music podcasts. They're not allowed. We can't have commercially licensed music in a podcast because the fees are way too high. So there isn't going to be one. Now uh, he brings up a couple of different music podcasts that he somewhat enjoyed um but it's this nashville life the trap set which features uh conversations with drummers and other musicians uh in that way and, he, and it still didn't fill his you know it didn't fill him up like a podcast would you and i joel and <clears throat> it again goes to knowing what kind of content you want to listen to but then understand that there is a whole group of people that are absolutely searching out this content, especially those marquee ones that he brought up. Honestly, I, I don't have a problem saying this. And again, this is probably a negative on me, but the marquee ones that he brought up, they ain't for me either. <laughs> I don't listen to the, I don't listen to those podcasts. I don't enjoy listening to those types of podcasts. I enjoy more the, what I like to call the water cooler podcasts, the ones where I feel like I'm, and I've said this for a long time, I feel the best podcasts are the ones where 
I'm listening in onto a in a conversation with two people at a bar, and I'm just eavesdropping, and then eventually I'm a part of that conversation too. I can interact with that podcast. I feel those are the best podcasts that we have. If I if I get that feeling, then that's the kind of show that I'm going to listen to. I don't like the lack of a better term the the high highly produced almost radio on the internet type of podcast. That's the nicest way I can put it. I understand though, there's a huge population out there that absolutely wants those podcasts that absolutely listens to those podcasts. When I was the head of content for a company and I had to listen to podcasts that weren't necessarily for me, I was able to put them through a filter and understand, is this great content or is this not? Even if it's not content for me, what about this show would be attractive to another audience? I was able, I can still do that. I can, I can listen to something that's not intended for me or for someone like me and say, this is great audio. Those marquee shows that were mentioned that aren't for me are great podcasts. They're phenomenally produced. They're well done. And there's a huge audience that wants to listen to them. So to sit and waste thousands of words on the Washington Post. Um, although you got what you wanted out of it, we're talking about it. Uh, well, every podcaster in the world talked about it this week, I think. We all <laughs> responded to this one, too. I will I, I give just, him, yeah. again, I'm going to give him one line in the whole thing, Jay, that I thought, he's got a point with this. So there, it's right towards the end, actually, um, about three paragraphs left. With a podcast, form is content. I'd love for tomorrow's podcasts through more inventive combinations of speaking, pacing, editing, and scoring to sound as wild and disparate as the topics they address. So the paragraph before that, he had talked about, am I, am I basically asking, I'm saying they should sound good. Podcasts should sound good. And one of his friends said, isn't that like saying every rock band should sound like Steely Dan? And he goes, no, I think podcasts already all sound like Steely Dan. Like we've effectively standardized the audio. And his general point is that that is When did a, Steely Dan become the bar to measure? Well, so the, <laughs> Steely Dan's thing was that they were all like super good musicians. And the, the point of Steely Dan was to actually play the music, like to be very... Mm. Uh, tight and specific they don't have a flow they are the opposite of a jam band at least in theory and so his point is that that's what we've already done with podcasting that effectively if they're not literally trash if they if they're not recorded in a bathroom on a speakerphone then they immediately go to this level and everybody sounds just like there's these two things and that's all we have and i i will agree that we're still in the early stages of experimentation with what our art form and medium can be. But mm. I think when, you, when we talk about, uh, I mentioned once upon a time, I can't, what was Daniel J. Lewis's show about once upon a time? He had like a, maybe it was just the once upon a time podcast. Anyway, he had it. I always think about him when I think about TV shows, like that's the one I go to. Uh, Cause I feel like that is representative of somebody who's just excited about a pop culture thing and makes a show. That's one angle on, and it's just like you said, it's two people on a bar stool having a conversation and you're just part of it, right? But then the other angle is highly produced, highly researched, expert commentary, things like, you know, the Slate podcast and uh, uh, Pod Save America. These are experts in their field that are having a high level discussion that we could never have at the bar or be part of at the bar, but we can take it in podcasts. And then you have artful things like the bright sessions that are fully produced casted with with professional actors you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so like anyway um yeah i think this guy just doesn't see that and what's crazy is he mentions a bunch of that like he talks about s-town specifically uh, which s-town of course has a lot of ethical issues and and is is currently i think right. in, in legal trouble too but he says specifically of that uh S-Town, which investigates a murder in rural Alabama where the voices of the interviewees enrich the storytelling in a way that written quotations could not. He admits this like three or four times. This thing could only exist in podcasting. You know, it's only appropriate in podcasting, even in an article where he tears it down. So, again, this is a guy that had a conclusion and then he drew all evidence to it as he wrote his 
little article for the Washington Post. And as Jay uh, mentioned about Rush earlier, anybody that wants to drop off a check, me and Jay are more than welcome to, uh, yeah. more than happy to start writing articles from a base of knowledge about podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know where we want to go to next. There's been, a, I mean, these are smaller uh, stories here, not necessarily huge sweeping things. Uh, Wondery and UMG um, yeah, announced. Yeah, you know, they announced that they have a partnership to develop new podcasts and and new forms of um, ways to get UMG's content out there that might include film and television projects as well. Uh, I'm very curious as to what the financials were of this particular partnership, because understand you're going to start hearing Wondery podcasts with commercially licensed music in them, specifically from the Universal Music Group, uh, that you are not going to be able to do. And quite honestly, there isn't, and I say this again with 99% conviction, I'll give 1% that, that I could be wrong on this that I don't believe there is an independent podcaster that can do this exact same thing that Wondery has, has done here. I do not believe an independent podcaster could go to another music license. Let's say Warner brothers. Is that a good example? Is Warner brothers owned yeah. by universal? I don't know. Could go to Warner brothers and propose the exact same thing that Wondery has done here with universal music group. I just don't, I, it's something that you are never going to be able to do. And you have to sort of accept that at this point. There are people that are working on changing the licensing of music in radio. I hear them talking about it on the new media show all the time. Todd Cochran, I know, is one of those guys that's working with that group to, to get that licensing deal done. But even once it's done, it won't include full track. It's going to include something like 30 second snippets, uh, and you're going to have to have credits involved and, uh, you're still going to have to pay some sort of licensing fee to use that music. So understand that while, while these things will change and get better for the, uh, independent smaller podcaster, you're not going to be able to do what Wondery is going to end up doing. No, you're uh, so, okay. There's, here's a podcast that I like a lot and I've, I'm working my way slowly through their category, uh, catalog. It's called alphabetical. And it's like three or four buddies, and they go alphabetically through the Beatles catalog and discuss the songs. And they're like 10-minute episodes about each song, you know. But what they want to do is to play the song, obviously. And, of course, they can't. So not a single episode includes not even like a cover of it because they know you just can't do that. That would be wonderful to do. What I've done before is set it up in Apple Music or Spotify so that I've got the song ready and I either listen to it before I go listen to the podcast episode or I listen to it right after the podcast episode, you know, or whatever. But I that there's nothing they can do to help that. And even when what is it? Is it uh, Nobilis Reed Podcast Music? I think is one of the places that's that's working on. The, there's two or three companies that are trying to make this happen, I believe. But um, anyway. Whenever those happen, you're still not going to be able to put the Beatles, the whole song on your podcast, even if you're talking about it. It's just not ever going to happen. Not for normal podcasters, even if you have big fat stacks of cash. Now, I say this, uh, I'm reminded uh, Brian Ibbett uh, has done a show for a number of years called Coverville, uh, where he does feature cover songs um, done by independent music bands. He has negotiated licensing deals for his particular show so that he can feature these particular artists. But again, it's still not, I still don't believe it will be again. It's with independent artists. So it's not with a major music label. Well, and there, there are a couple of others. I can't, there's one that, that went and got like an ACDC song and actually paid for it. But it, that was like one song, one podcaster, specific terms. They put a giant amount of money out for it or something. I can't remember who, but I've I've heard that every now and again. That'll be the well, such and such did it's it. It's Corolla, I believe. There you go. So, but like again, you're not Adam Corolla. <laughs> Adam Corolla you don't also have Adam beat Corolla's the podcast paycheck. troll. Yeah, you don't have his paycheck exactly. So, um, 
Quickly, let's move to this story, Jay, before we we wrap up. I want to talk about the Apple Watch a little bit. You Mm. have this great uh, article from Medium. By the way, it blows my mind that every company in the world now just posts on Medium instead of their own blogs. I don't, why don't, why don't people want to use their own websites? I don't understand it. But here we are, Apple Watch, Apple Watch podcasting's stealth success story. Uh, Apple's wearable tech podcast app is growing fast and bucking the industry's trend. Um, Jay, you you should if you're interested, you should go and look at all of the information and the specific numbers laid out in this article. It's linked in the show notes. Uh, but you've been very skeptical of the the numbers behind the Apple Watch really since the launch of podcasting on the Apple Watch. I, b- I believe this started last fall, right, with the uh, yeah. launch of iOS 12. Uh, some during the summer with the betas, but normal people got it in the fall and both the apple podcasts app but also third-party apps like overcast now work on the apple watch as well um we've seen many articles like this reporting high numbers yeah i mean i i hesitate to really go fully in on it i have been very skeptical skeptical about these numbers and i really would love to hear from angelo uh from blueberry uh, who is Todd Cochran's chief technology officer, uh, who apparently does have a much more deeper understanding of where exactly all of these numbers are coming from. Uh, but I know uh, from going through a lot of the rebases and a lot of the IAB um, compliancy uh, deals that Apple is one of those companies that ended up on many of the podcast hosts' whitelist, which means anytime a download or an activity came from Apple, it was checked off as, well, this is real because it's from Apple. And it turned out, well, Apple started putting bots in to uh, update their files on a frequent basis, and all of a sudden your download numbers had to get uh, adjusted to a lower number because they realized that Apple's numbers weren't all real listening. And I fear that, a lot of this is true with the Apple watch and even, I mean, they presented data that shows that, Oh, this is great. This is, this is great news for people uh, that use the Apple watch about where the spikes are in the Apple watch. And it's from nine to midnight Eastern time, which if you think about it is when people are taking their watch off, putting it down, and now it's syncing up with whatever devices it syncs up with to low and and to me i just feel like the apple watch is not giving you a real look into what how large your audience is it's it's actually duplicative data uh to what your audience is via apple so i say that with hesitation i say that not knowing a lot of the specifics about what it is but i am concern that there's a whole hoopla over oh look at this great listening on apple watches and i don't uh, i'm not buying that uh you're getting a huge chunk of listening via your apple watch i just don't first of all i don't know how i don't know what the apple watch market penetration is how many people actually own an apple watch uh they are an expensive item and if you already have a 300 dollars iphone then most people aren't going to shell out another $300 for an Apple watch. And again, this comes from the man who's unemployed. So he understands uh, the, the common man's struggles in, in budget. So I, I, I hesitate to go full in on these numbers are bogus, but I don't believe these numbers are actually telling you what you think they're telling you. Just take them with giant grains of salt, I think is what we're saying here. When, you, when you're looking at anyone talking about the Apple Watch being like a gold rush for podcasting or a new boom of podcasting, just take that with a giant grain of salt. I'll tell you my own personal experience. So first of all, I love my Apple Watch. I'm a user. Uh, Kelly's got one. My wife has one as well. We both use our Apple Watches pretty frequently. Neither one of us streams podcasting from it. I thought that would be a thing that I would do a lot. It was one of the features that I was very excited about with iOS 12. It's one of the reasons why I finally got the Apple Watch. I said, oh, now I can use it for my walks without taking the phone with me. But 
I don't I didn't get the cellular model because the terms are not great and the cellular honestly did not it's not well reviewed uh, even in the new model I've got the the series three but even in the series four the cellular eats up a lot of battery life still it uh, diminishes generally your usability of the watch in other ways and it's still quite slow like if you actually want to do things when you're out and about if you want to answer an email if you want to answer a message it's better if you have your phone with you anyway even if you do the interactions on the watch. So because of that, I personally have streamed a podcast or an audiobook or music directly from my watch to my AirPods maybe five times in the year that I've had it almost now. And like, and again, I'm a power user. It's slightly anecdotal, but uh, Marco Arment, the creator of the Overcast app, he was talking in the most recent episode of Accidental Tech Podcast about the watch features and specifically uh, the ability. He, his app does not have the ability to stream a new episode directly from the watch. Even if you've got the cellular watch and you open up the Overcast app, if you don't have the episode synced to your watch from your phone, you cannot access it directly and play it. And one of his co-hosts was complaining about that. And he said, hey, I had to watch out the other day for a walk, and I tried to do this, and I couldn't. And Marco's like, lots of reasons not to do it, but the number one reason not to try to add that feature is because for all the technical hurdles that I would have to overcome, the audience size for it is minuscule. I can't remember the specific feature, but he compared the statistics for people who use, uh, you know, playing audio from the Overcast app directly on their watch was one-tenth the size of the audience who uses this other feature, which to him was a very minor pro-level, you know, only the super intuitive users use that one. And playing directly from the watch was even a small, tiny percentage of that, one-tenth of that. So in his mind, there's just nobody that's doing it. And Overcast is, I think, the third largest podcast aggregator um, uh, as far as like it's behind. I know it's still behind Spotify. I know it's behind Apple Podcasts. I think it's maybe behind one more, but it's either the third or the fourth. So he's got a pretty large sample size to speak from there. And if he's not seeing any actual activity on the watch, I think we have to take these numbers with with a big old grain of salt too. I think most people are still listening from the phone, period. Uh, even the Apple Watch users. And and I I think you're right. Apple Watch is a small subset of people who have an iPhone, but those numbers are large and growing, especially in the United States. I see the Apple Watch a tremendous amount, like lots and lots of people mm. are buying them now, especially for uh, activity tracking. And I will say the one thing in this article that I am interested in is where they say uh, that there is a spike that coordinates with workout times. So they, they say they have a spike for Apple Watch downloads in the morning peak 7 to 8 a.m. So, like, that is when people are working out, and that might make sense. But, again, that would be one of the three periods of the day when they say Apple Watch downloads are peaking. And the other times mm -hmm. are not times when I think people are actually interacting with their Apple Watches. They're, as you said, they're syncing them. Right. Yeah. Um, um, you can't see this, ladies and gentlemen, because you're listening to a podcast, but I'm waving my iPad Nano at, uh, at Mr. <laughs> Sharpton right Nano. now. iPod Nano. That's not a pad. Yeah. Did I say iPad? Yeah. I meant iPod. It's my New England accent. Yeah, there you go. I, you got to park the cockies. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, that's, I still listen. I, I actually mentioned this in a Facebook story, too. Somebody said snarkily to someone, are you still listening to your iPod? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Uh, and my whole thing is battery life. I just don't, I don't understand how people can listen to podcasts on their, on their phone without draining the battery. My phone drains the second I play like a song all of a sudden i lose five percent of my battery i'm like hey no 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 uh so i still listen uh, on my uh, ipod so yeah any I, I think for podcasters there's nothing really to do about this other than just don't don't freak out that you got to advertise right. to apple watch users this it's not i don't think there is any gold rush and i think long term this is going to wash out uh rob walsh from libsyn has been saying a lot Watch your Apple stats, or, or actually don't watch your Apple stats for the next few months. Apple's doing a lot of things behind <laughs> the scenes, and they're going to get squirrely. Look well, at your look at your interactions. They're also with going. The they're also going through IAB certification, uh, and that's I have true. A, and right. I have a feeling uh, there's going to be some number uh, shakeup there, especially on the Libsyn platform, just from things that I've seen uh, anecdotally. 
it's not, and again, this isn't anything to do with anybody doing anything wrong. It's just the IAB certification has more stringent measuring measures than what previously uh, was done. And so it's just a matter of, it, you have to remember when these numbers do get lower, this doesn't mean that you have less audience. You still have the same exact size audience you've always had. It's just now a more truer report of what your audience is. Anyway, uh, Joel, uh, what's the one thing that you're going to send more audience to? What are you currently listening? Oh, uh, we are currently listening. What am I currently listening to? Oh, I know what I'm currently listening to. Jay, I am. Uh, it, it it is it is the week. We are here at the end game, Jay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am a I'm a huge Marvel nerd. I've been a Marvel fan my whole life. I read the comics as a kid, and well, hell, I read the comics as a teenager and a grown up too. I still read the comics sometimes when I get a chance. But I love these movies. I love the fact that we've had you know, a whole decade of connected storytelling in these giant budget films. It's just, it's amazing. And it blows my mind. And every time I think about Joel at, at, you know, 10 years old and 15 years old, I, he just, he would have crapped his pants, Jay. I mean, honestly, like I, <laughs> he, he would, he would just be continuously in a state of, of euphoria. Um, so I've been doing a little rewatch. I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just about to rewatch infinity war actually. And, uh, the wife and I are going to try to go either the 25th or the 26th to see it. We'll be there one of the first days, uh, at our local cinema, uh, see mm. the actual end game. So in preparation for that, I have been listening to some of the MCU, recaps on a show called Welcome to Level 7. Uh, I mentioned Daniel J. Lewis earlier. Uh, he just recently shut down his network, the Noodle Mix Network. He had an independent network of podcasts for a while, uh, and this was one of those shows. It's spun off. It's on its own now independently, and um, the folks behind it are great. Uh, I've talked with them in the past. We reviewed them, I think, once upon a time a million years ago on on uh, Always Listening or Pod on Pod when it was called that. But welcome to Level 7. It's a podcast about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show specifically, but they also do episodes about every MCU movie. And then they've also... There's so many other properties out there, right? But like they've done episodes about the Daredevils series and about Luke Cage, and I think they did some about Jessica Jones. They're even doing Runaways on Hulu, which I've not watched mm. yet, and I haven't listened to those mm-hmm. episodes. But they've done Runaways as well, and I think even some Cloak and Dagger. So they cover the whole MCU. I love in particular, though, their episodes about the movies because they do a really good job of like they'll give you 15 or 20 minutes that are non spoiler and really give you a sense of like, hey, can I bring my kids to this? Or is it like hold off until it's at home video for the kids maybe so that they can watch it in sections? Or is it scary? Is it funny? Is it, does it live up to the hype? Or is this one kind of a letdown? Things like that. And you get all of that before they play the spoiler horn. And then they go into the spoiler discussions and they really break things down. They talk a lot about connections to the comics and like where this comes from and where the stories went in other mediums. So maybe a hint to where the movies are going in the future. And then the other thing that I love that they do, Jay, is they do a post-credit scene. So after they wrap up, (laughs) just like the movies, right? So after they wrap up every episode, they have a little short discussion. And sometimes it's literally just like a joke, but sometimes it's like, Hey, we'll do five or 10 minutes about something else. So like um, when the Venom movie came out, for instance, Venom's not in the MCU and it's not technically a Marvel property, even though the Venom character is from the Marvel comics. So they did a post-credit scene discussing Venom after (laughs) one of the regular episodes. I love that stuff. Welcome to Level 7. Links in the show notes. Yeah, that's awesome. There are a ton of of MCU type podcasts out there, so uh, I'll have to give this a listen. You mentioned you mentioned in the show notes Agents of Shield. I've stopped watching Agents of Shield like a couple of years ago, so I don't know if it got better it got or worse. Good, or no, it got so so. I, I I didn't like it that much either in the middle, but somewhere around when they brought in Ghost Rider, that was pretty good. And then the last yeah. season in particular, they went into the far future. I mostly to avoid mm. having to deal with infinity war, I think is what that was really about. But mm. there was a, there was a great storyline there. And then this next season, they've actually announced two more seasons. They're going to go all the way, I think to wow. make some seven or eight, but uh, the, the next they were season threatened to coming, be canceled at one point. <laughs> well, but you have to think about like Disney owns ABC. 
Disney yeah. owns Marvel. This is a Marvel property that connects to the films and is good content for ABC. It'll be good content for Disney Plus or whatever down the road. You know, like it, so Disney can make a lot mm. of money on something in repeat viewership and different ways like that. But um, yeah, no, check it out. Especially, I think this next season is going to have fallout from Endgame, and then I think moving forward. All of Marvel's properties are going to be more closely aligned. If you look at what they're doing with the Disney Plus shows, I think yeah. that will be true for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. I think they're all going to be sort of tighter, more tightly connected. Yeah, I got to find 10 bucks for the uh, Disney Plus uh, or whatever it's going to cost. <laughs> you, you got till November to save up for it. You're good. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you hear that? Companies out there, you need to hire me before November. Uh, for me, Joel, it's pretty easy. I mean, this is, you know, after the Super Bowl for NFL fans, this is like Christmas morning. It's NFL draft time. The next generation of players are going to be selected one by one. My wife doesn't understand how me and my son can sit there for hours just watching names get announced <laughs> by by the commissioner uh, and and get all excited about it. But this is exact. This every NFL fan right now is all hyped for the draft. So if you're not listening to my own podcast, and which by the way. 11 years, 11 years ago, before I even had my own podcast, we created this thing called the Super Fan Super Mock Draft, where we had a fan represent one of every 32 teams, and they acted as the general manager of their team. And we did this on the old ESPN Football Today podcast. And when I left ESPN, those super fans uh, ended up coming with me to create the Next Fan Up podcast, and we continued the tradition of the super fan super mock draft. Essentially, we created the podcast around this concept. And um, yeah, so we did it again, and uh, it's over three hours of draft content plus what we have in our archive. But I didn't tell you to. I didn't tell you all this to listen to my podcast, though you should. Uh, I told you all this because I listened to uh, another podcast called Scouts Honor, uh, which features Dave T. Thomas and Paul Crane. Now, Paul Crane is a local sports guy, and Dave T. Thomas is a man who's been involved in the NFL draft for a number of years. He got his start as an NFL scout when he was 13 years old, and he went up to uh, Al Davis, the former uh, Raiders owner, and said, I can do a better job using the newspaper and scouting these players for you than your own scouts can. And Al Davis took him up on it and he presented Al Davis with a book of like 400 pages on NFL draft prospects at age 13. And Al Davis gave him a paycheck for it. So uh, Dave T. Thomas is hooked in. He knows who these players are, but he also is hooked into uh, some teams' war rooms, including a team that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, which might be why I, I tend to like this particular podcast. So he gives you a lot of insights into what these NFL teams are thinking about how they're going to improve their team for the uh, next season. Uh, and that is the alarm to let me know that uh, you should all go listen to Scouts Honor uh, and uh, be always listening. I like that one too. I like that one too. I'm not, so I gave up the NFL about I don't know four years ago or so, four or five years ago now. Well, uh, you know, every team is going to draft a guy that makes them think that they're going to be able to compete in the Patriots Invitational. The, oh, the Patriots <laughs> Invitational! Good Jesus. <laughs> the, the, so the, honest, honestly, the, I will say that aspect of it. The hope springs eternal. The boy, this year is our year. Something's going to come in the draft, and everything will fall into place, and we'll be back on top. That aspect of it that joy that comes with the draft is the one thing i think i miss from the nfl fandom um so do go check out jay's show go check out uh, scouts honor as well jay where can they follow you online i am at the real pod vader on twitter you can get me on facebook facebook.com slash pod vader page you can email me next fan up at gmail.com usually the easiest way to get in touch with me i am very public and open and uh, available so it's not very hard to find me. Pod Vader. There aren't any other people. Well, there's a few people out there that claim they're Pod Vader. I am the only real Pod Vader. Uh, you can follow me at The Rogues Life on Twitter or all my stuff's at propodcastingservices.com. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you you would have gotten my first take on that Ed Ryan article uh, earlier this week. Uh, but uh, see, cooler heads prevailed, and I was able to make something positive out of that. Uh, thank you, Ed, uh, for uh, the opportunity to uh, feedback. 
Thank you for listening to this show. And if you want some more, you can find everything at alwayslisteningpod.com. Until next week, we've been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I don't like Steely Dan. <laughs> and we are always listening. This not to Steely Dan. <laughs> Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.